Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Uh, Today is an interesting message. I'll be doing a lot of reading, um, and you're going to have to pay very, very close attention because there's going to be some some, a lot happening. We're going to actually cover, as you can see here in my slide, that means we're covering all of Acts chapter 26. It, yes, no, we are. We are. We're, it's, it's possible, doubters. It's a faithless, faithless generation. Um, we are going to cover Acts chapter 26, which means there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot today, and I need you to hang with me. Uh, one thing I don't mention very often is that, that in Kaya, I don't print out handouts, and that's because I believe in note-taking. I believe that, that doodling, I, think, I believe in scratching down what God is showing you is really important. And uh, you do that, you can do all the handout filling out in uh, main service, you can do that in LFBI, and here I want you to write down exactly what God's showing you. So, so have your notes ready, and let's expect the Lord uh, to show us something today. The message is going to be, is your gospel ready? Is it ready? Um, it's been a couple weeks since we've been together at Acts, so I want to briefly review where we've been, the Apostle Paul has been in prison for two years and has come before uh, several councils to face charges against him. In each of these hearings, he's been acquitted of all of those charges, and yet he still remains within the, uh, the, the custody of the Roman Empire. And so he's on house arrest in Caesarea because they don't really know what to do with him. Uh, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are so angry at him it doesn't seem reasonable that they would just set him free. Uh, in order to appease those leaders, they've decided to keep him imprisoned and to keep him in custody uh, just to make them at least somewhat satisfied because they can't afford to have another rebellion in Jerusalem. And so they've decided to hold on to him. They don't know what to do with him. Most recently, the governor, Portius Festus, heard the, uh, the accusations from the Sanhedrin and at the end of that hearing determined that Paul should consider returning to Jerusalem to deal with these matters among the Jewish leaders. So in other words, uh, they had a hearing. Portius Festus, he's the new guy in town. He took Felix's place. Felix was the previous governor, and he's facing his own charges. He's a criminal now, and so he was removed from his position. Portius Festus came in. He wanted to hear all about Paul because he wanted to get this, this situation off the books. He's got other more pressing matters at hand, and so he wants to get this Paul thing you know, off, his, off his desk, if you will. But the hearing didn't go real well, and they didn't have much evidence against Paul. And so, you know, just like Felix, his predecessor, he just shuffles Paul back into prison, and he's kind of waiting what to do next. If you remember, Paul kind of stuck between the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, decided to appeal to to Caesar, the emperor, which means what he's asking for is that he would go and stand before the tribunal councils of Caesar in Rome. Because he doesn't believe that the decision makers around him are going to actually set him free. And so he says, as a Roman citizen, he recognizes he has the right to say, hey, I appeal to Caesar. I want to stand before the big dogs. I want them to decide what to do with me. Okay, and so that's the last thing that we saw take place. Um, Now, in verse 12 of chapter 25, Festus says, When he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar, and unto Caesar shalt thou go? And so Paul is waiting 
extradition. And uh, in the meantime, though, a new guy shows up. So we've got another guy showing up. And we're in danger this morning of once again falling into the monotony of our story, right? We talked about how this time that Paul spends in prison, if you're reading this, you could get bored pretty quickly. If you're not actually paying attention, you could get bored. You're like, this, didn't this just happen? It's like someone hit repeat, right? You ever been at a party where someone hits repeat on the same track over and over again? You want to punch someone, right? <laughs> I remember being in an art show. You guys know the OC? Do you know this show, the OC? Yeah, it was a hit of the early 2000s, okay? I can't say that it was a good show. It was like a soap opera for like, for like a, the quasi-indie pop generation. It's a terrible show. The best thing about it was that they had a really great, a lot of great music. I remember being at an art show one time where the DJ literally played the, the, the anthem, the song of this show on repeat all night long. It was the same, the same song. You know, and I went through all of the, the process of grieving and like the, you know, I wanted to, I was sad and then I wanted to fight him and then I was like, I gave up, right? Uh, but it's awful when you hear the same thing over and over again, but God's word isn't quite like that, is it? If you're willing to look a little bit deeper, there's so much to learn even when things seem to be repetitive. And, and one of the principles that we talk about over and over again is that repetition in scripture demands extra special attention. We talked about this idea that the more real estate an idea or a concept takes up in Scripture, the more that God wants to impress upon our hearts a particular truth. And so what we hear over and over again in this part of the narrative is Paul repeating himself, sharing his testimony, making a plead, giving evidence for what God has done in his life, and that is true today as well. Now, we are going to hear Paul rehearse his story, his testimony, before this guy, King Agrippa. And, and before we enter into the story, I want to ask you a, a very important question. Do you share your story? Now, when I say story, I don't mean it in the cheesy psychotherapy babble pop culture way that we talk about it. You know, the whole like, like you know, uh, my truth kind of way. You know, people talk about, oh, that, my story, my story, my story. It's very self-centered, isn't it, in our world? When we talk about, oh, well, my story, you hear this all the time. It's like, in, like all over the place is people want to tell their story. But the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that our story is actually the story of Christ working in our lives. And so it has very little to do with us. And so when I ask you, do you know your story, what I mean is, do you know how to talk about what Christ has done in your life? Do you know how, when you talk about yourself, to actually talk about Jesus Christ? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to share at any given moment what God has done for you and the power of the death, burial, and resurrection as it concerns your life? And on the heels of the retreat, and as we're, we're like midway through the semester, we're coming up on midterms, Right? And we've made all these relationships. We've talked so much about evangelism and building relationships and reaching the, reaching the lost. And here we are, all these new relationships. I want to ask you, have you shared the gospel? Have you told your testimony story to the people that you've encountered and gotten to know over the last few weeks? Are you willing to do that? Now, Paul was. And here we're going to be reminded of what it means to have 
the good message, the story of Jesus Christ and the testimony of our lives on the tip of our tongues. And with that, let's pray. Shall we? Eric, are you prepared? All right, brother. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We need you. You've done so much. And we're such a busy ministry. We've got so much going on. And we could be really distracted uh, from the mission. And we could be distracted from all the things that you want to do in our lives. And uh, Lord, I'm, I'm humbled by this group of young people. And I'm, I'm humbled at the, at the prospect of what you've called us to do. And you've put a mighty work before us. And uh, we've, been, we've been convinced, God. I mean, most of us in this room are convinced that you want to use us to win Kansas City for Jesus Christ. And that's, that's going to require laborers. That's going, to re- that's going to require faith. And that's going to require a group full of people who are ready to speak about you at any given moment. Prepared. That you are so on our minds and on our hearts that we don't have time to be afraid. And that the, the, the boldness is just in us. God, make us a prepared people. Make us ready to share the gospel. Make us ready to share the message of who you are. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Make us willing and ready messengers, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 25, verse 13. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. Okay, who is King Agrippa? And Bernice, King Agrippa II, is the last ruler of the Herodian dynasty, and Bernice is his younger sister. Okay, um, this guy is the son of King Agrippa I, and if you remember, King Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12 was struck dead because when he stood before the people, he received worship unto himself. And as he received worship, God was angry at him and smote him dead right there. Okay, pretty nasty dude. King Agrippa I, that's his dad. Now, King Agrippa II is also the grandson of Herod the Great, who sought to kill the Messiah. You guys remember that from Matthew and Luke, the story of the wise men who came, those kings came before King Herod and said, hey guys, if you find this Messiah, the one prophesied of, will you come back and tell me about that? I'd love to come and pay my respect. And what he really meant by that is come tell me about where this baby is so that I can go and kill him. I don't want anything to threaten my throne or my rulership. So that's King Herod. That's the great uh, grandfather of, I'm sorry, that's the grandfather of Agrippa II. So Agrippa II is in bad company. But yet, in our story today, he appears to be open-minded. He appears to be spiritually minded. He appears to be ready to hear the message of the gospel. And so we have to give him credit for that. So several days after the, uh, the Agrippas uh, appear in, uh, arrive in Caesarea, the, I'm sorry, the, the Herods arrive in Caesarea, Festus begins explaining to Agrippa this troubling situation he has with Paul. And so he rehearses the story before Herod. All right? Let's look at this. This is Festus telling Agrippa about what's been going on and he's asking him, hey man, can I get your help on this situation? Verse 14. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, there is a certain man left in bonds by Felix. Okay, that was the previous governor who had Paul suspended in prison. 
about whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that which he, uh, he which is accused, have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. In other words, this is our previous story about how he invited the Sanhedrin to lay charges face to face against Paul with the Roman rulers listening in. Therefore, when they were come hither, without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. So he called Paul to be brought forth, against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and, one, and of one Jesus which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So Fess is, ex, is explaining how the hearing went. And the way he describes it, he's convinced, just like a lot of people of this time period, that this Jesus thing, this Christianity thing, this, this, this way of Jesus thing was just a sect of Judaism. And so he's like, when I heard the accusations against Paul, it sounded like just a bunch of nonsense from their, super, their Jewish superstition. And I didn't hear anything that would cause me to believe that Paul has offended any Roman laws whatsoever. But the problem here is that he appealed to Caesar, okay? And he continues on here. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would be willing he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these manners, of these matters. And so Paul doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want to go back to Jerusalem. They've done him dirty so far. Okay, he doesn't want to go back. He doesn't want to have to sit through that because he doesn't believe they're going to do right. And he already knows that they're conspiring to kill him. So that doesn't seem like an option to him. But when Paul, verse 21, but when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. And so he's explaining how Paul made that appeal. And in the meantime, he's waiting until uh, Festus feels ready to send him to Rome. So Festus is telling this to Agrippa because he's looking for insight from Agrippa. Remember, Festus is still pretty new to the job, right? And he doesn't want to make any wrong moves. He doesn't want to do anything that might offend the Roman leaders. And so he's kind of waiting and hanging out, and he's listening. He wants to hear Agrippa's opinion on the whole matter. And so, you know, the other important part of this is that he's got to send, if he's going to send Paul to Rome... He's got to send him with documentation, okay? History tells us that there was all this paperwork that needed to go with him, and in that paperwork, he had to be willing to write down all the evidence and accusations against Paul, and, and we, as we know, there really wasn't much to write. And so he wants to hear Agrippa's opinion, so Agrippa, willing to help, requests to see and hear from Paul himself. And so, verse 22, Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. That's what Festus said. Tomorrow, you can hear from him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice, with great pomp, okay, just like his father before him, with great pomp, and was entered into the, to the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. So Agrippa's arrival before the audience of Roman officials comes with a bit of a show. And there's a crowd, there's a group of the aristocracy that are there for King Agrippa. They want to see him. They want to hear the story of Paul. So there's kind of a show happening. And this is the most official group of individuals that Paul has stood before yet. 
And before they begin, Festus Agrippa, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Portius Festus addresses the crowd, and he says the following. Okay, so he's got Festus there, or he's got Agrippa there, and he's got getting all the names mixed up. It's a lot of people, right? Okay, he's got Agrippa there, he's got the crowd there, and Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. And when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore, I have brought him forth before you, especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. Okay, I've got to have something to write back to Augustus, back to Caesar, back to Rome. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. Okay? So then Agrippa asks Paul to speak. And Paul begins telling him about the events leading up to the current dilemma. Now, in a previous sermon, we talked about the importance of testimony. Of testimony. We've already talked about this idea. We discussed how powerful sharing your testimony could be in order to compel others to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Okay, now I know that for a lot of us, we don't feel very uh, familiar with the deep things of God's word. And we go on campus and we engage with people uh, at our workplace. Some of us don't feel up to the challenge of talking about Jesus because we feel like we don't know the Bible very well. And so we tell ourselves it's easier for me to stay quiet because, you know, I can, I can just live good. I can just be kind to people. You know, if an opportunity pops up, I don't want to deny it, but I'm not going to make room for it, and I'm not going to engage people, and I'm not going to push the envelope because I'm afraid that if they begin engaging me back, that they're going to say things about the Bible that I just don't know how to defend my faith that way. And a lot of us stand afraid in the face of the enemy's accusations and the ways in which people engage us, and we stand fearful and afraid. Now, here's the one thing that you can't deny. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's done a miraculous work in your life. It is an absolute 100% miracle that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who sat on a throne in heaven, as, as Philippians explains to us, would set all of that glory aside, that he might come to this earth, live a perfect life, but a life of shame, a life of ridicule, that he might live that life only to end it by dying the most gruesome death that anyone could ever die. He was spit upon by his creation. He was beat into a, into a bloody pulp. People laid hold on his beard and pulled it from his face. They mocked him. They made him carry his own cross. They led him to his own place of death. And they let him hang there and die there. That he might asphyxiate. That he might strangle himself to death on the cross. Grueling, wicked, undeserving. And he chose that, that he might have victory over death. 
He chose that humility. He chose that meekness. He chose to put himself below us that he might win us. And the day, the moment that you realize this for yourself, the moment that you put your uh, faith in Jesus Christ, that is no less than a miracle wrought in your life. And to retain that story and to hold it back from others that that they might not be able to hear it is evil. And so you have a story that needs to be on the tip of your tongue and readied at any given notice. Your testimony is power. And if you don't have anything else but to say, except ABC, Jesus loves me, then that's enough. That's enough. So they implore Paul, hey, will you please tell your story? We want to hear what's, what, 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 what's happening in your life. What is it that got you to this point? And he begins to speak. Acts 26, verse 1, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, Because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Now listen, Paul's not just blowing smoke here. He means what he says. Okay, Agrippa's been in power for a while, over a decade probably. And at this point, he would be very familiar with the Jewish customs. And he's been in power and he's proved himself to be to be fair as a leader. And so Paul is addressing him and in a way that shows him respect. Verse 4, he begins to tell his story of salvation. My manner of life from my youth, which was was, uh, at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning if they would testify. Now listen for a second. He's going back in time. He's going back to that time in which his family moved from Tarsus into Jerusalem and he began to learn among the Jewish leaders and he began to be trained among the most most well-known teachers in all of Jerusalem. And here he points out, if they were willing to testify the right way, they would have told you that. So he's being a little bit sarcastic here and he's saying that their testimony has been false up to this point. But this is the truth, is that, that he was one of them. That after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And if if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that the Pharisees were the most traditional group of believers among the Sanhedrin and among the priest class. Verse 6, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews." Why should, it be, uh, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Okay, so what's being said here? He's saying, look, I've been with, I've been with the Jewish leaders. We've been, in, we've been on the same page. We've been single-minded up to this point, except for the moment that the Messiah came to earth, died, and rose again. And it's over this matter that all of the charges deal with is this idea that I believe that the Son of God rose from the dead and that one day he will raise all those that believe in him again. Okay, that's the issue at hand. 
And Paul points out uh, that he here, uh, this day, is that the the issue really comes down to whether or not Jesus Christ resurrected. Verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus uh, of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Okay, so what we know about Paul is that before he put his faith in Jesus Christ, that he was charged to go out into all of the regions surrounding Jerusalem and to capture the Christians and to put them in jail and to persecute them, to give them a hard time and to beat them, to beat them openly in public and to prove that they're wrong. That was his past life. He was zealous. He was zealous for the Jewish law. He was jealous over the Mosaic law. He wanted to be a good Jew. And this is how he lived that out. He was of them. And we learn about that in Acts chapter 9, verse 12. That's the old man. That's the old man. Now here comes the new man. Verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw in the way. So he's, he's going, he's traveling to Damascus, and he's going to round up more Christians. And he's on the road, on his way to Damascus. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, And them which journeyed with me, they saw it too. So this light was brighter than the sun. It washed out the very sun. So you couldn't even see it. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And so in this very moment... Paul comes to saving knowledge. We read about that in Acts chapter 9, about how Paul put his faith in Jesus Christ. Now the part of Paul's testimony that he's going to focus on is how in that moment Jesus gave him a mission, gave him something to do, and how he chose to be obedient to the calling that God put upon his life. Verse 16, Jesus' word was, But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple, and went about to kill me. Having therefore atta- obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And that's the message. That's the, that's the message that Paul delivered. He says, look, God did a miraculous thing in my life. He sent Jesus Christ. I was, I was born out of time. I was born out of season. 
I met Jesus Christ in the way. He, he miraculously delivered me. And I realized in that moment that I had a calling on my life, that I was to go and to preach the gospel to the entire known world. And so I went out reaching out to the Gentiles, and I preached the gospel faithfully, telling them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is true, that he's come, that he died, and that he rose again. That's what he did. He was faithful to that. Now that leads us to, to what we need to unpack today, and that's this that we are supposed to have the same mindset that Paul had in this very moment. And that if we're going to be mission-minded, if we're going to be faithful to the gospel, that there are some important things that we have to know as it concerns how we share. And that leads us to the very first key point for today. And that's this. Our gospel message must be ready. It must be ready. So you can imagine, Paul is already... Waiting. He's waiting to go to Rome. Every hearing that needed to happen already happened. His fate was sealed. I appeal unto Augustus. Take me to Rome. Okay, done deal. That's what we're going to do. No more hearings. Not important. Let's send him to prison and let's wait on, on, on getting ready to send him. That's where things were at. So the idea that King Agrippa had come to town, that makes no difference to him. None of of that makes any difference whatsoever. And so here he is, sitting in his cell, waiting extradition, and they grab him. You can imagine, they they come down and they knock on his door and they're like, hey, bro, uh, you've got five minutes. We're going to take you upstairs and and you've got to talk to a king about what's going on. Now, can you imagine? Can Can you imagine if someone knocked on your door and said, hey, Joe Biden is waiting in a secured vehicle down the street, right? We know for a, never mind, I'm not, gonna get, I'm not going there. <laughs> Joe Biden's waiting down the street, and he wants to hear you preach the gospel. So put your shoes on, we're going. Most of us in here wouldn't be ready. Most of us in here aren't familiar enough with what God's done in our life to be ready in those moments. Paul was. He was incredibly prepared. He was always incredibly prepared. He had rehearsed his story so many times in his mind. He had spoken it so many times before that in a given moment, any given moment, he was ready to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and what he had done in his life. But I want you guys to understand that this is the expectation for every single mission-minded believer. In Matthew, you know, Jesus was talking with his disciples, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And he says something very similar to them, okay? Uh, Similar to what we're seeing here in our story today. Verse 16, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak. For it shall be given you in in the same hour that ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now, do you have the faith to believe that? Do you have the faith to believe 
That when, when the, the moment arises, when that coworker of yours randomly brings up something spiritual, when you're in the classroom and the professor speaks out and he wants the opinions of the, of the class, when you're with your family at that, that event and someone's talking about something about Christianity, blah, 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 are you ready and willing to speak up? And most of us aren't, and the main reason is because we're not rehearsing the things of God in our quiet time. We're not worshiping and, and praising him in our devotional time. We're not talking to him about all the glorious things that we're thankful for. We're not going to him and saying, God, here are all the mighty and wonderful things that you've done in my life. Let me, let me speak of all the things that you've done. Let me thank you. Let me just be grateful for a moment. And because we don't do that, because we don't practice that in our quiet time, when the moment arises and there's a gap in the speech and God has given you an open door, you're going to fail to speak up. And it won't be any different than Paul saying, pass, I'm good. Can you imagine if he did that? I mean, first of all, we would have lost a whole chapter in our Bible. Some of you would maybe be thankful for that. But, man, this is, this is, so, this is so important for us to see that Paul was always ready. In Acts 9.15, But the Lord said unto him, and that's Paul, this is the testimony of Paul, this is the command of Paul, oh, Jesus says this to Paul, when they meet on the road of, to Damascus, he prophesies this. He tells them to be re- him to be ready. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is the way of every believer. We must be ready and prepared to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. This phrase, instant in season, means at any given moment, in any instant, you're prepared to preach the truth of, of, of what God's done in you. I was on the plane ride back from New Philadelphia, which is where I was at last week, during the Certainty Conference, I was there with, with Sam and with Chris and with Pastor Dan um, and Abby and, and Abby's dad and Wyatt's dad was there, and we had a great time. It was a good time. Paul and I, or, uh, Paul, Sam and I were on the, it's almost like Paul sometimes. Uh, Sam and I were on the plane, and we were on our way back uh, to Kansas City. And I was sitting next to a Hasidic Jew, right, a very traditional a conservative Jewish guy, a little bit younger than me. He's just gotten a job in Overland Park working for some sort of Jewish outreach center, with, working with young people. And uh, when he sat down, I already had my Bible on my lap. And so I was praying. I was like, Lord, will you give me an opportunity? And we, as we, we got to Chicago, which is where our, our stop-off was, um, I kind of took advantage of the opportunity. He had taken his headphones out, and he was kind of hanging out. And then I began to talk to him, and I asked him about what he believed in, and we were just making small talk, and 
One of the things that happens a lot of time when everybody shuffles off the plane during a layover, a lot of people were going to Chicago, and so the people that were staying on the plane to go to Kansas City, there was probably only 15 of us. And so we were going to stay on the plane, and he and I had a very cordial conversation, but there was no open door, right? And it bummed me out, right? I just was like, oh, I was looking for that, that opportunity before we all kind of scattered into more open seating, because he's like, we're like not going to sit right on top of each other. If there's more seats, he wanted to get up and get closer to the, to the front of the plane, and so... So that happened, and I sat down next to Sam. He and I made our way to the front, and the guy sat over there. And I sat down next to Sam. I was like, man, I just felt like I didn't have an open door. And Sam goes, I think I have an idea. So while we're in, in that layover, Sam leaves his stuff next to me, and I just sit there and I pray. And Sam gets up, and he goes back to them, and he asks him a question about, about what he's studying in Genesis from our sermons. And he's like, what, what do traditional Jews think about this passage? And they just started talking. And they started conversing. And they started talking about what they believed. And, and Sam had an opportunity to present the gospel from two or three different directions. Now, that guy is steeped in, in what he believes, and so he didn't make a profession right there. But he agreed to start listening to sermons. I mean, I, he may be listening to this one. I don't know. But he said he wanted to start listening to sermons, and he was going to check out our website and he wanted, to, he wanted to put his father-in-law in contact with Sam. Cool, right? That couldn't happen unless Sam was prepared. That couldn't have happened unless over and over again, Sam was rehearsing scripture and rehearsing his testimony and being grateful and thankful to the Lord in his quiet time, it gave him an opportunity that he wouldn't have otherwise had. And I wonder if the rest of us are prepared that way. We have to always be ready, always ready. And that requires faith. And that requires fearlessness on our part. Key point number two, our gospel motive must be souls over self-interest. Souls over self-interest. Because why? Because Paul didn't have anything to gain that day from speaking with King Agrippa. He had nothing to gain. Gain. Uh, Agrippa had no power to change his circumstances. Agrippa couldn't set him free. It was only just an opportunity to hear from Paul. It didn't mean anything. He had already laid claim. I'm going, I'm going to Rome, and I'm going to stand before uh, Augustus. That's what I'm doing. And so there was nothing left to do. You know, it requires an incredible amount of humility and meekness and lowliness to say that even if I have nothing to win from this, I'm going to speak because souls are worth it. Yes. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says something very similar to, to what I see him believing the Lord for here. Philippians 3, 7 says, But what things were gained to me, thou I counted lost for Christ. The things that I would gain in this world, I've already sacrificed those things. The fame, the glory, the riches, the, 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 the happy life, all of those things, I died to those things a long time ago. For me, there is nothing to gain except Christ and his glory. That's it. He continues on, verse 8, Ye, uh, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, 
that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We've got a dead man walking here. A dead man's not afraid of dying. A man who's already reconciled to suffer is not afraid to do anything. Everything for him from this point on is only glory to God. See, what we're talking about is a meek gospel, one motivated by the love of souls and the love of souls alone. I look around here, and I see a bunch of growing young men and women who are learning the word of God, who are coming into places of prominence in your workplace. You're moving up the ladder. Steve just got a new job, right? Man, that's so awesome. He has so many opportunities with all those young people, okay? And I think for a second, I'm just going to use you for example, brother. If for, for, for Steve, if he's more concerned about what his principals think, and if he's more concerned about moving up the, the, the job ladder, which in teaching, they're really, that's not a real thing, <laughs> right? But if he's concerned about how people perceive him and about being well-known, about being the best teacher in the school, if he's concerned about those things more than he's concerned about the souls in his classroom, he will do the Lord in injustice all the days that he serves in that role. Now, you guys are all in very, very similar situations in your workplaces and the people that you encounter. If you are more concerned about preserving what you have than about the souls of the people that you engage, you will fail to do the work that God has called you to do. This is that cost of discipleship. This is that dividing line that we've been talking about. And I think it's very important for us to, to, to take the time. Okay, let's, for just a second, I just want to say, I don't think that you can convince yourself of this. Like, I don't really see that in Scripture. I don't see, like, someone one day just discovering how precious souls are to the Lord and to the objectives of the Christian. I don't think we understand love. I don't think we see one another. I think when we get on the bus or we go from place to place, we don't even consider, we don't even consider people. In fact, most of the day we spend ourselves, our time training ourselves not to see souls. And we see one another as, as, as optional transactionary engagements. And that's how we see one another. That's how we see people on the street, and that's how we see people in the supermarket, and that's how we see people on the bus. It's optional engagement. And it's all transactionary. What can I get out of this relationship? And I don't think simply because we read this passage today that you can convince yourselves that souls are precious. I think that that requires getting the heart of God. I think that requires the Holy Spirit doing a unique work in you as you contemplate time and time again what it cost Jesus Christ to die for you, what he gave up, and who he is. And once again, that brings us back to this idea of meditation and rehearsing before the Lord. And as you do that, God will change your heart. I believe that. And that's what we need, is we need new hearts. Key point number three, our gospel message must be personal and personalized. It must be personal to us. Our story is our story. It's no one else's story. It must be personal to us, but it must also be personalized 
for the person that we're, we're engaging with or the people that we're engaging with. See, Paul's story was about how God had directed a message for him. I mean, how personal is that? He's walking on the road to Damascus, and Jesus Christ shows up in person to talk to Paul. So personal that when he spoke, the other people around him couldn't even hear the voice. To them, it wasn't audible. They didn't understand what was happening. They saw a bright light, something weird was going on. But Paul was the only one that day that could hear the voice of God. That's how personal it was to him. And as he, as he rehearses this story, as he shares it with the people here that are standing before him, all these diplomats and Agrippa, it's a personal story. It means something to him. He's, he's heartbroken and moved by what God has done in his own life. And truly, Psalm 89.1 was, was real for him. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. That's how Paul felt. But the story that he gave that day was also, also personalized just for King Agrippa. If you look at chapter 26, verse 8, he says, Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? He's addressing Agrippa directly. Why, would it, why does it seem strange to you, King Agrippa, that God would be willing to raise the dead? He's talking to a king, you understand? He goes on in verse 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. In other words, what's implied here is, will you be disobedient, King Agrippa? I'm talking to you, man. Will you be, I wasn't disobedient. Will you be disobedient to what the Lord is showing you today? See, his testimony was not a production. It wasn't memorized. It wasn't some sort of, it didn't follow a script. He was willing to adapt it in the moment to the people that he was engaging with. And that's what made it personalized. We don't need to be contrived or silly. We don't need to share someone else's testimony. We need to share our personal testimony, and we need to personalize it to the individual that we're talking to. And we can do that, and we can trust that the Holy Spirit will do that in us in any given moment when we're, when we're engaging with people. We need to learn to speak to people in a way that is personal and meets them in a place that, that, they're, that they're at, that meets them there. If it's a family member or a friend, if it's a person of, of low education or high education, you sit down with someone who's never been educated, right? And then you start using like, you know, $10 words with them. You know, your theology words that you're learning in the Bible Institute will shame on you. You meet a person where they're at, whether they've been educated or not. If a person is rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You need to be able and willing to engage with them. Why? Because they're souls. And because they're precious to the Lord. And because they have a story that's their own as well. And you need to enter into that story that you might share the truth of Jesus Christ. Key point number four. Our gospel message, message must be confrontational. It must be confrontational. Now, we don't like that word. Okay, we spend most of our lives avoiding confrontation. Now, when I say confrontation, I don't mean argument. I don't mean debate. I don't mean being angry. I don't mean being loud. What I mean is confronting a person where they're at with the gospel. There have to be terms. There have to be terms presented. There has to be a, a line of demarcation drawn. 
There has to be a place where they clearly know, I'm either going to step across that line or I'm not. Either I'm going to believe on Jesus Christ and repent of my sin, or I'm not. But we have to present every person that we have opportunity with and, and, and the terms of the gospel. We have to be willing to do that. Watch how Paul does that here. Verse 24. And as he, as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, okay, so look, he's got mockery. You ever been in this situation where you're sharing the gospel and then one of the friends over here, you know, smarty pants over here, interjects with little stupid little things, right, to make you look like an idiot, and then you just have to ignore them? I mean, I think a lot of us have been in those situations. That's Festus here. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Verse 25, Paul says, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things. Ooh, it's a call out. See, I know that King Agrippa is hearing what I'm saying. I can see it in his eyes, and I know that he's hearing the words that I'm saying, and they're pricking his heart. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Oh, he knows about Jesus. Oh, he knows. None of this happened in a corner. It wasn't hid away. It wasn't, and Jesus didn't die in quiet. He didn't raise from the dead in the quiet. He knows what I'm talking about. And what I say compels him. And here is perhaps uh, what we're going to read here, the most heartbreaking phrase, I believe, in all of Scripture. This is the saddest phrase, the saddest words ever uttered, uttered in all of Scripture. Paul says, as he confronts him, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Ah, 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 but even, even... The devils believe, don't they? And they tremble. Believing isn't enough. It's not enough. Repentance is required. Even the devil and his minions believe. King Agrippa, I see that you believe. I know that you believe. I know you, I know, you know all these things took place. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost. Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And that reminds me of our, our recent sermon at the retreat in Luke chapter 8, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And you can see the brokenness in Paul. You can see, you could see that this was heartbreaking for him. To hear the king say, I'm this close. And how many people do we know that this close? They believe up here, but they're not willing to make that jump, that 16-inch jump to here. 
They're not willing to give up their lives. They're not willing to say, I will obey. I repent. I need you, God. They're not willing to be broken before the Lord. They believe up here, but not here. And listen to what Paul says. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and all together such as I am, except these bonds. And what is he saying? He's saying, I wish to God, I plead with God that everyone in this room that hears my voice today would know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that they wouldn't just almost believe. They wouldn't, they wouldn't just walk up to the line and, and, and engage it in an intellectual level, but they would give in and they would plunge, plunge themselves headlong into the truth of who Jesus Christ is. They would surrender. That's what Paul wants. And I'm curious if there's people like that in this room today. I'm curious whether or not there's people in this room that believe intellectually in their minds that Jesus Christ came into this world and died for them and that he may have even risen from the dead. But you have yet to repent of your sins and surrender your life to him. And so I don't think there's any more fitting way than for us to end our service today. If the worship team could come up then by asking you if you would be willing to set aside your pride and that you would, you would be able to say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my life is meaningless. I know that without God changing my heart, to change my mind, without true belief, I have nothing. I have nothing. Now, I know people are being loud. I know people are going up and down the steps, but listen to me. I'm talking about the most important decision that you'll ever make. I'm talking about the most personal and important decision that you'll ever make in your entire life, and and that is whether or not you will receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Will he be your Lord? And so as we close and we pray, I want to invite you to come forward. There's going to be counselors that are standing right up here men and women that we trust in this ministry. And I wonder if you've got the guts to go beyond saying, almost I believe, almost thou persuadest me. If you would step out and say, no, 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 that's not good enough for me. I don't want to just believe that Jesus Christ was. I want to believe that he is and that he is the God that reigns over my life. I want to believe that with everything that I have. And so I'm giving everything up. I'm setting aside my pride. And I'm going to come forward today and I'm going to meet with someone. And I'm going to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ once and for all. And others of you, others of you, you're not faithful to speak up. You're not faithful to share your testimony. You're afraid. And it's time that you repent right there in your pew. And then you grab another brother or sister and you repent before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm afraid to share my testimony. I'm afraid to share what you've done because I'm afraid of ridicule and I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. You need to repent of that today. You need to get that right. There's a world to win. There's souls out there. And Jesus Christ cares for them very deeply. And you ought to too. And that's worth us changing. Right? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we don't just... We don't just love you, Lord, we need you.
And we know you're there waiting for us. And so, God, I pray for those in this room today, right now, who believe in their mind, but they've not yet put their faith in Christ, that they've not yet made the decision to follow him and to be a true disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, absent that decision, their eternity is is sealed to destruction. And that is a warning that you give in Scripture, that those who don't believe in you They don't get to spend eternity with you. There's no good works. There's no good thing. There's no no action that they can do to earn favor with you. They need Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that they would see that for the very first time today and that they would have the guts to grab somebody and say, Hey, I need to know about salvation. Help me. Lord, I pray this in the power of of your Holy Spirit and the mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.